AM790 Talk and Business presents Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island with your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Join Bronwyn to hear about the next water fire event in downtown Providence, plus other great cultural events happening in the community. Now, here's your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Well, and hello, 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 and welcome to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island here on AM790, your station for talk and business. Wow, what an incredible last weekend we had at Waterfire, uh, August 1st. It was all about Rhode Island defeats Hep C, and if you weren't there, um, go back and look at the Waterfire website and look at some of those pictures. Check out some of the things that we did. We did a lot of um, testing for hepatitis C, had a lot of wonderful information, uh, and if you missed it, I think we're going to be doing another one next year, and we missed you down by the riverside. But I've got to say, I usually do a nice recap of absolutely everything that we did uh, the week before at Waterfire and what's coming up, but I've got to tell you, this is a big, big week for just Providence and Rhode Island uh, in general because it's the Rhode Island International Film Festival, the 19th uh Gosh, 19th season. And so, once again, Little Rhodey, this little state that we have, produces amazing things. And we have a 265 films from 54 different nations, 73 world and U.S. premieres happening right here in Providence and in Rhode Island at all different locations. And on the show today, I have amazing, amazing talent. Um, I've got writers, directors, actors, producers, uh, and some of the amazing work that's going to be brought to the forefront, which I hope as a listener you will go out and uh, check out, again, the talent that's being brought here to Rhode Island uh, and some of these films. But I'm going to jump right in uh, because I'm very, very excited. I was on a a friend of mine's Facebook page, and I've known one of my first guests for a very long time, um, always known that he was an incredible filmmaker. And my friend Carlos Salib, I'll give you a little shout-out there, Carlos. Um, We were talking and he said, you know, Richard has this film and it's going to be in the Rhode Island International Film Festival. And I was like, wow, that's big because I think there's like 5,000 or something submissions and only a a very select few. And again, these are coming in worldwide, get selected. So I saw the trailer from this incredible piece of work that he has not only written, but he has produced and directed. And uh, it's called Aside from That. So I have Richard Tilkin here, and I also have Cindy Gruber, who is the executive producer of Aside from That. And so, you know, what does that make you think of when you hear Aside from That? I don't believe that anything happens after your death. I fully believe that there is an afterlife with my creator. I'll be surprised to see what happens. I think it will end up being a lot like it was before I was born. Blackness. How can we go to a place where there is nothing? To wrap your head around the existence of not existing. So I know that sounds very existential and very deep, so I'm going to jump right into it. Richard Tilkin, what a, what a joy to see you after so many years and to see the trailer of your movie, which I cannot wait to see now on Friday at the RISD, uh, it's at the RISD Auditorium, right? Right. It was the auditorium at 4.45. All right. So <clears throat> what I want to know, after what we just heard, aside from that, what is it? Well, it's really about uh, contemplating the truth of our own mortality. Um, how do we cope knowing that we're all going to die? And how do you face the fact that 
of your own mortality? And it, by doing so, does it help you live a better life in some way? And that's kind of a capsule of what the whole film is. And it's a documentary. Mm-hmm. So, Correct. one, uh, and Cindy, welcome as well. I want to say hello to you. Thank you, Bronwyn. Um, so this is a very, as I said, I think of it as existential, but a very deep topic. Um, and before we go into who you interviewed and how you kind of went about this, what makes somebody um, want to do, what, what made you very personally want to do this uh, documentary and how long have you been thinking about this? Well, I've actually been thinking about it since I was uh, like five years old. I had a very dramatic realization that you know, everyone around me would die, that I would die, and I was shocked by that realization that things die. I don't know why. And it stuck with me my whole life, and I thought about it, and I just, I don't know, I decided that that would be a great topic to explore. A lot of people don't like to face it, and uh, I thought it would be an interesting documentary, and we we did not want to make it depressing, and I think it's an uplifting film, actually. All right, so to start at the age of five, and you're not five anymore, I no. know that, because I've known you for about ten years or so. Um, to Was there something that was an impetus that made you actually think, I, all right, now is the time that I want to approach this subject? Uh, it was actually a, a call from Cindy, and uh, she can maybe talk about it. And we, we started talking about some health issues and things were happening in our lives, and we decided to uh, take it on. Yeah, I think uh, Richard and I uh, had worked together in previous my previous career in marketing. He had done some wonderful work for me. Um, and I wanted to, we always had talked about, you know, what could we do together? And I was at a point in my life that I wanted to do something creative. And um, he had suggested this movie. And it was a time in my life where uh, some people that I cared for were having some difficult transitions and I was facing that plus uh, you know health issues of my own and getting older and we started talking about what it means you know to face your mortality and um, how does that affect your life and I wanted to find some answers to that Richard wanted to find some answers to that and we thought we would take this journey in film and hopefully help other people as well so you decide to take this journey, and where does this journey take you? I mean, can we explain to people how you went about the process? And we were talking about this before we went on air. I said, geez, I think if somebody came up to me and they had a camera and they said, how do you feel about death? I'd be like, whoa, uh, who won? Who are you? <laughs> and what's going on? But what was the process that you went through in order to get all this footage? And Well, I mean, we started with the treatment. I mean, it's such an enormous topic. You could go in so many different directions. So we had kind of a a treatment with a Rocco Giuliano writer that we worked with, kind of a path that we wanted to start on. Then we identified, did a lot of research, identified some people that we definitely wanted in it, and we were lucky to get them, like uh, Joan Halifax, who's a very well-known end-of-life care expert. She's sat at the bed of dying people and help them pass peacefully. She's a, a Buddhist, as a, she's a remarkable woman. Yeah. There's a uh, psychiatrist by the name of Dr. John Wynne who lectures on death anxiety, has a very famous TED Talk on death anxiety. So those were some people we started with, and then a lot of it uh, kind of moved organically, and we found people as we you know, went down the path, and Cindy can talk about that as well. Yeah, it, it, you know, we wanted a breadth of uh, experience 
in this movie, whether it be religious, whether it be academic, whether it be psychological. Um, we wanted a lot of different people talking about, you know, what it means in their segment of life. And then to the heart of the film are three profiles of people either facing their own mortality or who have faced their own mortality. Um, and those profiles really are the heart of the film. Um, how those people have faced their mortality is with courage and with humor um, and sometimes with difficulty, but they have faced it in their own way and they are examples to the audience to look at their own life and if something uh, happened uh, that they needed to face. So these these people really are the heart of the movie. Can you share with us maybe what um, some of the experiences that these three the people that you're highlighting have sure. gone through and what they were? Mm -hmm. Well, Rachel, Rachel, I'll I'll take Rachel because Rachel was a very close friend of mine. Rachel um, is someone we profiled who was diagnosed with ALS, and she knew she was going to die from this disease. She didn't know when, um, and. You know, Rachel's profile is interesting because um, she had a very uh, unusual goal that she wanted to uh, have happen before she left the world, um, and she wanted to be a clown. And uh, you know, around a her, clown. a hospital clown. What was that movie with Robin Williams? Yes, oh, yeah. yes. That's what, I'm right. sorry, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of like a red nose and yes, yeah, yes. okay. Now, whether she was able to, you know, actually make that happen really isn't the story. But, but it's somebody that's got coming, they have a disease, essentially, or they've been diagnosed with a, a, a disease that's right. making them face their mortality. Right. So that's, that's one example that we'll see there. Yes. Second example. Second example was um, Megan, who uh, Richard met at one of our mortality classes at Boston College. And yeah. you can take it, Richard. Yeah, we were filming uh, at a number of universities. There are mortality classes at universities. And we actually met her, and she told us her story, and it was extraordinary. And she was a pre-med student that had an unfortunate diagnosis and a relapse, and she had to deal with that. And she dealt with it in an incredibly courageous way. Uh, so that, was, that happened organically. We just kind of met her. And then there was... Uh, a person by the name of Michael, who was an Iraqi uh, war veteran, he he became a medical technician. It was just like the job that he took that paid the most, and he was thrown into the hospital in the war theater, and uh, right away, like, there were mass casualty situations he had to deal with, and he did it for a long period of time, and it changed his whole perspective on life and faith and how he thinks about life and death so yeah so there are three now there are three examples and people that are highlighted that really th this situation and, and facing one's own mortality is thrown right in front of your face but knowing after seeing the trailer that you actually approached a lot of people on the streets just asking them these questions because I was asking before again um, is this uplifting is it depressing what do people answer and I, you must have gotten some really interesting answers from just the general public that you approached yeah. we did we got fa fascinating answers and I think that's one thing that separates this film out from a lot of I think there are maybe some other films that deal with this topic is that we interviewed people on the street from Santa Fe to Seattle to Boston to Rhode Island 
number of people in Rhode Island. And just like fascinating responses, we'd walk up to a pretzel vendor and say, when's the last time you thought about your own mortality and how do you feel about it? You know, and some people walked away Mm -hmm. and some people gave us just shared so much and gave us like incredible responses. And the other thing that maybe lightens it up a little bit, there's a comedian, there's a couple comedians in it, but one is Stephen Wright. Yeah. People love. He's a fantastic comedian. Happens to be a friend of mine. But he adds some lightness to it, but also has like incredible. He's got such a brilliant, like observational. He's an observational humorist, I guess, the way he looks at things. And his observations of life and death, I think, are fascinating in the film as well. Well, I mean, the, the way that I look at this and the thing that makes me think that there's such an uplifting side about it is I usually don't think about my own mortality and I'm not sure that people when they're younger think about their mortality that much and so we just unless something happens and then we are faced with it but how that would change my life if I'd actually sit down and wonder what if I didn't have tomorrow what would I do differently today in order to change my path and I think that's what this is why I'm looking so forward to seeing your movie to see you know not only what other people think maybe what happens with the afterlife what doesn't happen um, what their fears are but also I think it in, in some wonderful way will remind me of the humanity that we all face and we go how am I living today you know, based on, am I actually remembering that, geez, this is, a, I'm living on borrowed time. You know, I don't know when it's over. Nobody, nobody's got me. There's that great commercial, you know, nobody said Janet's heart attack was going to happen today. Right. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to. But so how long did it take to make the film? It was about maybe two and a half years in the making. And is there something that, all right, is there a favorite story that each of you have that you picked up along the way while making this film? Yeah. Well, for me, it was, I just fell in love with um, with Joan Halifax. I thought she was uh, just so calming, and she had, she has this, you know, history and um, career of dealing with end-of-life, you know, people. Um, and Joan talked about um, the most memorable death that she'd experienced, and it was her father. And how she was with him at the end. And that story gave me the courage to be with my mother when she died in the most loving and beautiful way. Um, And I think Joan was an inspiration for me in that part of my life that was so difficult. Yeah. So she changed your life. That's that's awesome. All right, you, Richard Dilkin, you got one minute. Tell me what what it was. Uh, Let's see. We met a really interesting character by the name of Ron in Santa Fe. He was holding a parrot. And is uh, with him that was talking a little bit, but he he was diagnosed back 20 years ago with AIDS, and he said he had a six-month uh, time frame where he was told he was going to live for six months. So he ended up traveling the world. He took courses. He did all these things, and now he's living today. He said he never would have done that without that diagnosis, and it changed his life. I wonder if every now and then we should all think that we're going to die tomorrow, and maybe we'll live again a little bit better today. One last time, um, guys, where can we get tickets, and where can we see the film? At the Rhode Island International uh, website, R-I-I-F-F-F. Uh, website, yeah. uh, Metcalf Auditorium, Friday, 445 uh, at RISD. Yeah. 
And uh, thank you so much for having us. I am. I cannot wait to see the film. I will be there with bells on, and I'm very much looking forward to it. And congratulations on approaching a subject that a lot of people are usually not comfortable talking about. And maybe um, after the film's done, and you know, next weekend or sometime in the fall, you can come down and see Waterfire and hang out with us because Waterfire is a lot about life and death. You know, both those elements give life and yeah. they can bring death very quickly. But So I am very excited. Again, congratulations on Thank being you. part of the Rhode Island International Film Festival. This is all up on the Waterfire website. Look at our Facebook page as well. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much. And hello, 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 and welcome back. You are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island here on AM790, your station for talk in business. We are underwritten by National Grid and sponsored in part by Lifetime Medical. Uh, so without them, we would not be able to be talking to these incredible people from the Rhode Island International Film Festival. Uh, lots and lots of good art happening here this week in Rhode Island. And what a great conversation uh, about a phenomenal movie talking about that subject nobody usually wants to talk about, about death. Uh, you know, And that's going to be playing again on Friday. What a great conversation with Richard Tilkin and Cindy. Uh, so we're moving on from that, though, and we're going to actually, I'm going to send everybody to the Waterfire website so that you know where to go in order to, one, get tickets for that show, find out more about it, watch the trailer. It's uh, it's really just cool stuff. But now we're moving on because, again, the talent's bubbling over, and I am so excited. I, I got a call uh, about a few days ago from a dear old friend who I met from because he was at the film festival a few years ago, and and he was an actor and a producer in this really unbelievable film called Happy New Year. Um, and the acting job just blew my mind. And I, I believe he won an award for it. His name's Michael Cuomo. And he's back in Rhode Island. And he's going to be speaking on a panel on how to take a short film and actually get through the process of making it into a longer, I guess, feature-length film or a longer film. And he has uh, brought with him somebody else who has done an amazing film for the film festival. And and that is our friend Paolo Monaco, who has got a movie called The Mother Showing. So, gentlemen, welcome so much. And I'm so glad to have you here. Hello, Paolo. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Great to see you and again. Michael, there you are with that big smile. <laughs> I love it. So, all right, I'm going to start with, I know that, uh, now, are you both on this panel together? We are. We are. Yes. Yeah. It's it's part of something that the festival does called Script Biz, mm-hmm. which is an all-day event on Friday. It's happening at the Rhode Island Foundation okay. uh, down at One Union Street. And it starts at 8 in the morning. It goes until 5. And it's a series of panels about selling your script to Hollywood, uh, you know, how to write a screenplay. Our particular uh, panel that uh, Paolo and I will be doing is from 12.30 to 1.30, mm-hmm. and it is specifically how to produce uh, a feature starting with your short, which is what we did with Happy New Year in 2009 and then came back in 2011 when uh, I was here with Laurel Manning. And, and it came out absolutely wonderfully. And that is, it's a process. So, you know, thank you to the Rhode Island Foundation. They support us at Waterfire as well. But, you know, sometimes getting from A to B, especially as a filmmaker, if you've got these great ideas, there's so many steps in the process that people don't understand that you actually have to go through them. Paulo, what is your background? Always a filmmaker, sort of with shorts, or 
Can you give me a little information on yourself? Uh, yeah, I've been directing uh, for 15 years now, mostly commercials, mm -hmm. music videos. I started there, but um, it's always been my dream, you know, um, filmmaking with a you know, capital F. It's not commercials and mm. music videos. <laughs> so um, I wanted to, to do a short, to make a short, and, uh, and I had this story in, uh, in my life that, you know, eventually became a movie. So this is how the mother was born, from a personal, from a very personal story. And so very quickly, what is the mother about? Well, the mother is um, it's about what happened to my father. He passed away for, from mesothelioma, which is a rare form of cancer caused by asbestos. But um, he never worked with asbestos, which is the weird part of the story. And uh, he was an accountant in a big corporation, beautiful office, sleek, uh, glass and steel. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, we've never been able to prove any connection. And wow. uh, we know that there was asbestos in the building, but that's not enough, apparently, yeah. to you know to close the circle. So this started, obviously, based out, out of experience. You write this, did you start with a short story, and then it evolved into something, and did you start with a short film? And then yeah, it actually started as, you know, the, my, my, my goal was to make a feature out of that. Mm -hmm. But I realized very quickly that it's not... You know, it's not that easy, and uh, you need uh, you a know, lot of money. You, know, you need a lot of money. You need to involve a lot of people. You need to make a and, lot of know, commercials. <laughs> you make a lot. Exactly. Sometimes that's not enough. So, a <laughs> uh, short short film is a great way to to show everybody out there. You know, like uh, financiers, mm -hmm. talents, and uh, I don't know, producers. Everybody that you can actually make a story, and you can uh, you can tell a story. You know, uh, from from the visual, from the aesthetics, from the acting, everything is already there, yeah. uh, except the length. Well, and it sounds like you've you've moved through that process. And I, when is your film being uh, played? The film is uh, at the RAF Theater, uh, University of Rhode Island, Feinstein Providence Campus. Yeah, and, that's right uh, downtown. On the Friday, August the seventh, at five fifteen. All right, so that's happening. So you're speaking during the day, and then yeah, we'll speak from 12:30 to 1:30, and then uh, you know, go have a beer, and then <laughs> no, and, and it's part of a shorts shorts block. Uh, awesome. At, at 5:15. I think what I'll do is I know that I've got the press kit for your movie, and anybody listening, if if you miss part of this series that we do, Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island, you can always go to www.waterfire.org backslash radio and there's a blog there and it replays all of the interviews that we've done plus we'll add in something about what you're doing very quickly what are you up to mister and i'm i'm sorry well, i'm pointing right I, now i just uh well i was laughing about the commercials because i just recently shot a series of car commercials in barcelona for a, a european car company seat and were you uh, talking to yourself like matthew mcconaughey in the lincoln commercials <laughs> um no, I was I was using the GPS of the car to apologize <laughs> to all of my ex-girlfriends that I screwed over. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, listen, guys. Yeah, it's, it's good fun. <laughs> I am so glad that you have come on, and I, I wish that we had more time to talk to you. It's all but good. Uh, you know, so happy that Thanks you're here, us. and you know, maybe Thanks we'll all make us. it out to dinner while you're here in, in Providence and in great. Rhode Island. There's a culinary explosion in Providence. <laughs> all right, everybody, we'll be right back because when we come back, we're gonna be talking to Spock. 
Want to be involved in Rhode Island's largest volunteer-supported arts organization? Waterfire Providence has rewarding volunteer opportunities at every Waterfire lighting and throughout the week, every week. Our incredible volunteers make it all happen in a variety of ways, from being on the river to greeting guests and everything in between. There's truly something for everyone. Individuals and groups can get involved today. Email us at volunteer at waterfire.org or call 401-273-9727. There was a story I think I have an owl in here. It's Brother Hash. (laughs) That is Brother Hash. uh, A.K.A. Spaga. Yeah, Spaga. Spaga. Uh, For those of you who don't know Spaga, it would be kind of crazy if you don't. He's uh, been the fire spinner that's been a joy at Water Fire, gosh, since the beginning. Right, Spaga? Uh, Well, I actually played music for Barnaby at um, a Water Fire in 98, and then... I think I began spinning fire with them around 2002. Yeah, so people, if you have not been to Water Fire, one, shame on you. But two, uh, let's explain what spinning a fire is. So it's poi, right? Yeah, they called it poi. It was rooted in New Zealand, and they used to, I guess, um, the Maui used to um, do it before battle to warm themselves up. Um, So it's, it's spinning fire. Balls and at the yeah, at the end of change and chains and, and yes. stuff like that. And I, I, surely, if you have been to Water Fire, you know Spaga and you've seen Spaga, or if you've got the Water Fire DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I just want to talk about that a little bit, Spaga, before we go into your incredible music career, because a lot of people know you from Water Fire for the fire dancing, but they don't know that we have that we're sitting on one of the most incredible talents that I've seen in a long time, and that goes you go between here and New Orleans. But just to bring it back, how long uh, have you been with Water Fire in the capacity as our fire spinner? I've been a fire spinner since um, 2000, which is interesting because I learned it in California when I was on tour doing music. And I was uh, up in the Aptos Mountains and off of San- out of Santa Cruz. And these hippies handed me a fire staff and I just took to it right away. And the pictures look so cool that I decided to uh, make it part of my act and incorporate it in the music. Uh, and I'm really happy I did because they came and they were touring with um, Mike Patton's band, Mr. Bungle, uh, Faith No More, Mr. Bungle, all kind of family of bands. They couldn't perform Fire in Boston, so they hung out with me in Providence for a few days and helped me build some of my own equipment. And uh, yeah, by, by you know middle of 2000, 2001, I was spinning Fire. Now there are more people that do it, and um, I don't really remember people back then doing it. I, I think... Uh, I heard about people in Vermont and stuff like that, but yeah. I, I don't know if, you know, I, I always find myself innovating whatever art form. Like I was one of the first people to loop guitar and, and kind of make beats on my guitar and be like a, a looping artist. That was around the same time. I guess I was really creative mm-hmm. in 2000. I was living at AST20. That's what the deal was, you know, just mm-hmm. always trying to, um, and, and, you know, improve on what I did artistically. So 
Yeah. So you've been a musician since... Have you been playing the been guitar yeah, since, since I was 11. 11? Yeah, at least. And playing out since? 15. Okay, so were you one of like the young bands that we would see down in, in the clubs in Providence? Uh, I did play at uh, a few clubs in Providence when I was like 19, 20, um, because the singer of the band that I was in, we used to get uh, booked for stuff that he couldn't do, so he'd have send me over. It's like just grab an acoustic and, a, and an amplifier and your guitar and just go sing for them. And I, I didn't know I couldn't, and then they would give me money at the end of the night. I said, "This is pretty cool. <laughs> I'll do it again." <laughs> they would they would serve me too because I, I grew a beard like when I was 20, so <laughs> they would serve. Me. Okay, now for anybody who knows Don't what Spaga looks like, I cannot picture you with a beard because yeah. you've got this beautiful bald head, and then yeah. you got this long dreadlock. ponytail dreadlock yeah. that hangs down and so yeah i don't picture you with a beard no i oh. i'd hear like slash and a little hippie oh, beard the hippie beard all right i want to see pictures of that <laughs> I, that, that could be <laughs> interesting but it, you know when we were i'm um, riding down here because we came together to the studio you were saying that your mom had a what was it a sticker or something that was from when you first started performing that it, it oh yeah described you and and your performance style then yeah which is interesting because um I think when technology started taking over, I started to, um, I started to kind of mold with it, you know. Uh, and I, like I said, I was doing the looping and stuff, and I was kind of playing with DJs and doing house music. And I, you know, ended up going on tour in Ukraine and a lot of really cool stuff with um, some fantastic DJs. Um, but my f- my my mother had this um, sticker for my first shows, and I just I just went to eat on Wickenden Street, so. Uh, Cafe Zog. I used to play Cafe Zog, and and um, and uh, it said acoustic sound, and I always wanted to kind of be an acoustic guitar player that sounded bigger than an acoustic guitar player, and I think I, I finally become that. And a lot of it was moving to New Orleans, and and start sort of like I don't even use guitar picks anymore. Um, I whack my guitar like a drum, and I I do the beatbox thing, and mm-hmm. I you know make that happen, and. Uh, and people think it's a whole band. From from Bourbon Street, they think it's a whole band. They'll come in and they'll be surprised. It's only one guy. They'll look at my feet, look for effects or loopers or samplers, you know. Because I I kind of watched this evolution. I remember when you went to the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and I remember hearing you sing. Gosh, it must have been maybe around 2005, 2006. And then you you did. You went more what I would call heavy metal, but that's because I'm easy listening Bronwyn. Which, so. <laughs> which is interesting because I was always sort of heavy metal. I mean, in my teenage years, that's where I started. I mean, shredding guitar and all that stuff. And now it's... And now it's, it's kind of, it's taken its journey. So tell me about this trip down to New Orleans, because for anybody who doesn't know why you don't see Spaga all the time at Waterfire um, anymore is because he's been down in New Orleans playing on Bourbon Street. What was that like? One, what made you pick up from Providence and Rhode Island and go to New Orleans in the first place? Well, it was an interesting thing. Um, I'm very intuitive and uh, sp- I guess spiritual, but um, life was definitely pointing in that direction. Um there's actually a, I, I was a camp counselor as, at a younger age. That's where I started playing live a lot. Um, and uh, and I, I volunteered at the camp that summer, and we sang a song for the uh, victims of Katrina. And when it said, uh, it said, light our path or something in the video, um, the whole room lit up. And it was a song about Katrina. It was a very special time for me because, I don't know, I just kind of going through some heartbreak and 
some some hard times. Oh, I just got into that uh, car accident. I hydroplaned going to a gig in uh, through Connecticut. So um, so you know I I, I basically um, was at a standstill. You know I felt like life was kind of throwing me some punches, and um, it just uh, friends and my banjo player was going down uh, to New Orleans, and I went down there, and my my buddy was looking at me. He's like, "Why are you gonna go back to Providence? Mm-hmm. This is New Orleans. This is a Tuesday night on Bourbon Street." There's like 5,000 people on the street. It's just a random Tuesday after Halloween. The energy's different, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it's very different. They don't make them like they do in New England, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I miss the people up here for sure. And um, a lot of the detail that we pay attention to, the hard work that we do. And uh, um, I'll always call myself a damn Yankee down there. I'm proud to be a Yankee, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's very different. It's very different. But the uh, city definitely, she she loves me. We call her Mother New Orleans. And she um, she's definitely uh, brought, you know, a lot of dreams to fruition, giving me many second chances. If you uh, uh, go to my website, you'll hear a song called Second Chances. And it's very much about um, moving out of New England and, uh, and saying, you know, got to lose these New England blues, dry out and start again. You yeah. Know? So. Well, you know, the one thing that, I, that I've always admired about you and loved about you is your honesty in all of your work, whether it's when you're spinning fire, whether it's when you are, you, you are not only, a, again, a fire spinner, but a musician, but an also artist. an artist. Yeah. And um, uh, the hash art and the eight track art. Is and a ha- cool. Yeah. And, you and you know, could you explain uh, the history behind, you know, when we before we came on, I called you Spaga Hash and you said, no, that sounds like what a great okay. breakfast item. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like food. Yeah, it sounds like food. Um, can you explain a little about Hash and how Hash has been one of your biggest inspirations in your art? And well, it's met? interesting because I play, uh, he was a one-legged Harley guy, and I play music with his best friend now, who's also a one-legged Harley guy. He was your and, brother, right? Yeah, and it, well, Hash is my brother, and mm. he's best friends with Hash. So, um, And I was 18 years younger than Hash, so I didn't know what... Uh, how he felt about me. I just, you just, there's just a gap. And plus, he was the older brother that scared all my friends, and mm-hmm. including me, the one-legged Harley guy that would come home and we'd all scatter. You know, <laughs> get mm-hmm. out of the house. Here comes Ash. You know, and uh, and and those are all fun memories for us now. You know, um, he had a wooden leg. He used to go to family parties and take out his knife and like stick it in the wooden leg, <laughs> and the whole family, <laughs> the, anybody that didn't know him, their jaw would just drop. You know, because he'd have his wooden leg. <laughs> So he he would use that one a lot. I I got a lot of stories with that one. People come up to me, go like, "Oh, I know your brother. I know your brother. I was on stage singing once, and he took out his knife. He stuck it in his leg." I said, "That's one bad mofo." (laughs) (laughs) So Hash is Hash is a legend in himself, and um and as I got to be friends with his with with his best friend Panhead, you know, he 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 always reminded me how much he loved me and. uh, and, you know, when when Panhead was picking up banjo, he said, well, you know, Spaga, you know, <laughs> that was his whole thing. And um, and when he passed away, he left me his eight tracks. And I, I, I definitely had some uh, some like Christmas Eve. I was looking for um, the first cassette tape that Hash got me for Christmas was ACDC for those about to rock, yeah. which I immediately put tape over the, the edges and you could record over. It. I did that, you know, <laughs> but anyway, um but yeah, it was a one Christmas Eve. I was looking for uh, an eight track. He had like six thousand eight tracks, and I was like, you know, he's got to have more ACDC in here. And there was one Christmas Eve where I found that eight track, and I knew it was like Merry Christmas, you know, from Hash. You know, it was just uh, I didn't think I had it. I went through all the eight tracks. I threw away like half of them, and 
Um, so, yeah, you can go to my website, uh, spaga.com or brotherhash.com. Uh, takes you to the same place, and you can um, check out the hash artwork. I, I, I'm You've done incredible stuff with vinyl records. Yeah, the melted records on with with eight tracks, and um, mm. it's cool to, uh, you know, like today I this morning I recorded a new song, so so it was amazing to record the song, put it up online, and immediately go to my phone and listen to it, and listen to it to, on the car yeah. on the way, and like the contrast of like what we used to do with eight tracks. Yep. you'd have to like buy these eight tracks and take them with you so uh, it's easier to produce but you need to get in a studio because i know that you do yeah. so much of this by yourself which just blows yeah, my mind yeah i produce a lot on my own it's uh, i think you need you know money and connections to really do it have a, a production team and but uh like i said you know this album's really about marketing my skills and not only saying that i produce it i'm proud i produce like mm-hmm. some really good stuff i know how to mix drums and it takes a long time but um but I'm really into uh, getting a label or something to help me because I can't do it on my own. I'm having a hard time. Spago, where can we see? You're going to be playing. You're here yeah, till I, August I'm 31st, a, right? I'm here, here to August 31st. I'll be at the next Water Fires. And uh, I'm playing the Ocean Mist tomorrow early, 5 to 8. And uh, I have some shows at the Wheelhouse and Galley because I love South County and the beaches. And, uh, yeah, I'll be doing a show at the spot, I'm sure, coming up. So just stick, go to the website. I'm sure it'll be. And when we go, all right, because I know you beatbox. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes, again, it sounds like, as you were saying, when you're down in New Orleans, people will walk in and they'll think that they're so, hearing a whole band. Yeah, so, okay, what is beatboxing? Can you just... So, so I'll go know? up to, uh, you know, sometimes I'll I'll be like, if I was a DJ, I would just hit a button and I would sound like... <laughs> and then I'll grab my guitar, I'll start going, yeah, you know, and just add the guitar over that, and it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. We'll be hearing some of that, some acoustic. What, oh, yeah. Very, yeah, all of that. The whole gamut. Yeah, and I just try to keep it, you know, vocal and an acoustic guitar, and that's the whole thing. And I also know that um, we are talking about, and hopefully we'll have a little bit more information about this, really uh, seeing you do what you do at Waterfire. Do you still do the thing with the sword? The, the, uh, the swords in New Orleans. So. The swords in New Orleans. This is yeah. so not only spinning fire, um, Spaga. The hash, yeah, hash left me a, a sword, um, and you can get pictures of that too. Hash left me a sword, and I didn't know what to do with it. He said, "Don't kill anyone with it." <laughs> so I turned it into a fire sword, and I I like to use it at the Gloria Gemma water fires yeah. uh, because he died of cancer. So mm. I like to you know celebrate that and. Um, yeah, there's some really cool video clips of that. I gotta get up online. Well, I gotta tell you, Spaga, I'm so glad that you came in because I know was it a couple of weeks ago or something? You oh, and I forgot that there's too. a time difference between here and New Orleans, and I'm like, Spaga Hash is coming into us right from yeah. Bourbon Street, and we couldn't get and, in and touch the cool with you. Thing was she an hour called off. and I had a good crowd, <laughs> and I had a good crowd, so so she called and I picked up. I was like, hey, and, and you could hear the crowd. I was like, say hi to everybody on Bourbon Street. It would have been a really cool little clip for you. It would have been awesome. Maybe but you we'll know do that in the fall or something. I think we definitely should. And so I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank Great you for all here. you do for Waterfire. For everybody, again, that's out there. It's the Rhode Island International Film Festival all week long. You know, we had a great conversation. Aside from that, great, great movie. Go check it out. It's a AFTDOC 
dot com that's the website and then again talking to our wonderful friend paulo monaco here he's got his movie the mother um sounds absolutely incredible go to the rhode island international film festival website check that out and there's also going to be speaking with our good friend michael cuomo and helping people figure out how do you get from a to b in this darn industry can always be a little bit more difficult than one thinks. So I want to thank everybody for listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island here on AM790, your station for talking business. And I will see you soon, actually on August 15th, down by the riverside.